Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your temporary host, Thomas Alot, and today on the panel you have me, hello, and Dave Cedia as well. <laughs> and our guest today is, I want to say, Hawken Krogh, but I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Can you correct us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, that's that's close, as close as an American can get. There you go. One of the things that I find that we talk a lot about at the different conferences and the different things that I'm working on is open source software. And a lot of people have a lot of ideas around open source software, but we don't often think about the people who are building it and trying to maintain it. I had a friend, John, who came to me. He's been a guest on JavaScript Jabber a couple of times. He came and he actually said, hey, Chuck, I wish there was a show about sustaining open source. That really hit me where I live. And I have a few other friends who are working on projects related to this. So we all got together and we put together a show called Sustain Our Software. You can find it at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. It's a place where several people who are passionate about open source come together and have conversations about how it can be sustained and how it can be maintained and what we can do to help these maintainers continue to deliver us value that we build our software on. Most of the software we're building is based on open source. And so it's important to us to have that maintained and have it taken care of. Come check it out. It's been really interesting to listen to the conversations that they're having from people who are working in it all the time and just hear what they have to say about it. Once again, that's at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. Okay, cool. So I was watching your lightning talk at React Amsterdam, and I didn't get a chance to finish it, but you were getting into some interesting stuff about kind of the difference between like time to interactive and like the first paint and as well as like the uncanny valley. Could you kind of give us a brief glimpse of what that was all about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The talk that I gave was really focused on the, the term uncanny valley. It does apply to not only React, but in React terms, uh, it does apply on when you do, typically when you do server-side rendering stuff. So if you only do a single, single page application, this is not really a big concern of yours. But if you do SSR, then the uncanny valley is something that you should be focusing about. Like the whole thing is when we do server-side rendering on React, we were so good with the guests of the websites. It's like we pre-rendered everything on the server. We just send them the HTML, the CSS and everything. And it's immediately ready, right? It's a perfect win. Uh, and then after that, we get to boot up React and use all the magic inside that so we can create awesome interactive experiences. So, you know, it brings the best out of both worlds, like the traditional old school way of doing stuff and like the new modern stack. So, yeah, server side rendering has like seriously improved things in a lot of ways. It's still so early on that we haven't really started to understand kind of the trade offs and the pitfalls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there are tons of pitfalls with SSR. One of the most, most uh, basic ones are, yeah, you're now relying on the, the, the speed of your server. So you can't really handle a lot of requests at a time. And I know, so uh, if you're using Next.js, they kind of have like, solved this by splitting up all the routes into lambdas. So that's not really a big deal anymore. They can handle a lot of traffic. Yeah, that but, scales out pretty well. Yeah, it does. It's not really necessarily the fastest, but <laughs> scale good, yeah, for sure. But yeah, then, then the other big pitfall is that the clients or the end users are getting uh, into this uncanny valley, this mysterious place. Like uncanny valley, uh, I think it's a, you can look it up on Wikipedia, uh, but in essence, it's how to best describe it. 
Yeah. I've heard the term before applied to like art. There's art that, you know, looks like art. And then there's like art that looks like a photograph. But if it's like somewhere in between where it's like, it doesn't exactly look like photorealistic and it doesn't look exactly like a cartoon or whatever. It's just like, it gives you this weird sense of, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So something that's almost right, but it's not. But then, so when we apply this on the web, uh, I think we're not using this term correctly because what we present to the users are the actual, like, you know, it's the painted HTML. It's the buttons, it's the fonts, it's everything that you need. As a user, they don't think, well, this doesn't look right. For them, it looks perfectly all right. So that's why I'm not really a big fan of that expression. Uh, that's why we kind of made up our own. When I try to explain what the uncanny valley is, I try to, you know, uh, try to reference it to something that people know. And then I usually get into like the, the road runner cartoon. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah with Wiley e. Coyote and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So there's probably in every episode, I don't know, but in, I, I remember one of them where uh, the road runner was running towards a mountain and then painted a tunnel, the entrance of a tunnel and it ran into <laughs> that tunnel. Right. And the coyote came after and just, got totally destroyed because it ran into the mountain, not the tunnel. (laughs) And this is essentially what the uncanny valley is and the web. Because we're painting this awesome picture of a tunnel entrance, but when people try to use that tunnel entrance, you know, it doesn't work. They're not getting as many injuries as the caddy there. Yeah, that's that's a perfect metaphor. Like, looks like, I mean, it looks like a perfect web page, but none of the buttons work. Nothing actually does it. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So, so this is probably a better way to describe it because if our end users really had an idea that it was like the, something's off with this web page, I should probably wait before I you know, try to interact with it, then it would be okay. But they don't know. And that's also our sort of uh, developer's sort of passion too, is to try to make it as good as possible on the SSR side. And then in the background, just secretly rehydrate, react, and do all that kind of stuff. And then sometime in the future, it becomes interactive. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're do, trying this out on your like, laptop, like high-powered MacBook browser or whatever, like, it, it loads pretty fast, right? So like, it feels like it's working great. <laughs> yeah. And then like, you gave that example in your talk where like, you're trying this on like, underpowered smartphones and you end up with this really long delay where it just doesn't seem to work and maybe it's broken or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is really hard to cast on because when we develop websites, usually like we're all on, on pretty high-powered devices. Even an old laptop is, is, is really powerful. Compared to a medium-sized, you know, a couple-of-year-old cell phone, and a lot of people have those, and a medium or two, like a kind of flaky 3G connection, it's a world of difference. The examples I have from my lightning talk is, well, we're sort of trying to estimate for how long we're lying on web pages. And on a standard Next.js application, which our own company website runs on, we're lying for around six, seven seconds, I think. So we've confirmed this on, even on Wi-Fi on, our, on, on, on the office because uh, one of my colleagues has a semi-old Android and they can't use our website until I think it's like 10 seconds or something. That's absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> what can we actually do about it? So, you know, there's number one is like ident- admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Two is like figuring out what is the scope of the problem? How bad is the problem? And then what can you actually do about it? Yes, yes. So like step one of this, 
admitting that you have a problem. Like you have to start measuring your applications to find out if this is actually a problem. And there's not really like one way of finding out because there's probably one thing that you can do as a developer and that's using Lighthouse. You can even go to PageSpeed Insights on the web and just monitor any website. And you can tie, you can take the uh, look at the PageSpeed Index because that's the time where it appears to be waiting for the user. And you can, you can look at the time to interactive and look at the difference. So PageSpeed Insights usually happens before time to interactive. And if you can get those as close as, as you possibly can, that's going to be your optimal result. So I guess in a perfect situation, they will be equal. So at the moment, it appears to be ready for the users is the moment it's actually ready to. So it's kind of hard to achieve that in like real life. It is possible theoretically just by sending raw HTML with no CSS, no images, and no JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get right on that. Back to yeah. the 90s. <laughs> exactly. I remember back then, it worked really fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so back then, we didn't have that problem because you know, once you had your, your HTML and your small amount of CSS and maybe your one or two images, you're done. And back then, you didn't really have that much JavaScript either. So, yeah. I guess so the, the two directions you can go to solve this is one, on the technical side, actually making the same experience just load faster, get pro- progressive and how you split things up. But another side is like the, the user experience side of, of letting the designers be really intentional about designing the, the progressive loading experience. Like with, with Facebook, you know, like some articles will show up, but it's not the actual content. It's like fake content and it like shimmers while it's loading. So like, you know, separating the, the loading of like the application skin and the content and stuff like that. But that's kind of in the wheelhouse. Well, I guess it's kind of the blur between engineering and design at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, but I like that approach better than, than, than lying. I mean, just showing those blurred outlines of elements, you're, you're admitting that you didn't really make a super fast application or you know, it takes time to load data. But at least you're not lying. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, at least you can tell as a user that it's, like, it's, it's doing something. I just need to wait a little bit longer. To me, I mean, it's an acceptable solution for some things. But then again, if you, if you want to run an SSR application, uh, you really don't have that option. So there's, there's SEO implications in this too. So the reason why many people want to do SSR is performance and SEO. So the Googlebot and other crawlers, they do execute JavaScript. But if you have an SSR rendered application, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get higher rank, rankings on search engines, most probably. So... If you want to, you know, be at the top, top of your game and, and, and be really visible on online, then SSR is just like the way to go. And then, well, if you have an SSR application and you just serve them blurred sort of outlines of the layout, it doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't give, provide any value. Yeah, that's more of a valid thing for like an application where you're, you're not interested in, in being crawled by Google. Yeah. Maybe it's it's a little bit to that question of like you know where where should you use React and where should you like maybe just use plain old HTML or something. It seems like for static pages that are mostly static, like a you know blog or something like that, you want your you want a static version first, and then maybe you can sort of sprinkle in some JavaScript afterwards, speed things up or, or make it more whatever. But but you want that initial load to be to be pretty much just text because that's pretty much all the page is. So we're discussing SSR because, well, you, you have awesome tools like Gatsby, right? 
that can that can generate static uh, static HTML. Uh, yeah. You have, but those don't always work in in all scenarios. Sometimes your your content changes dynamically and really fast and really often. So you need something dynamically rendered, which is why we have Next.js and, and, and friends. So I've been working a lot with really ambitious e-commerce solutions in the past. And up until three years ago, we didn't touch React. It wasn't even an option. It wasn't fast enough uh, at the time. And yeah. uh, the server side rendering stuff of React wasn't good enough. It wasn't sort of mainstream enough for us to use it. It was only when, when Next.js was released that kind of opened the door for us to say, okay, maybe we'll look into SSR now. Because if you're running a really ambitious uh, e-commerce solution, you do need SSR. There's just no way around that. Absolutely. But Next.js and basically Zeit sort of changed the game totally, uh, completely. So now it is possible to do that. But we're running into situations now where we're, you know, we're doing SSR, we're getting all the cool SEO benefits, but the sort of the clients have to pay the price in, in terms of the uncanny valley and a bigger, like a longer time factor. So well, like what are the kind of ambitious things that you can that you're trying to do that require SSR and that make the loading time slow? I when I think e-commerce, I think like Amazon.com and you know, stuff like that. Yeah, Amazon, like that's what we all think about when we, you know, e-commerce, right? So there's obviously tons of other uh, websites out there, both B2B sites, B2C. As long as you want to be really visible on the web and not sort of use Amazon, sort of make your own thing, then this really comes into play. If you have a niche company, you know, selling, I don't know, metal teddy bears or something, then... You definitely want to get highly ranked on all of your preferred search terms, right? So then it, it it does matter a lot. Yeah, and it seems like the SEO thing, like it, it's sort of two angles too. I mean, you have to you have to sort of appease Google or whoever, mostly Google, by having like content that that it can parse, but also you want to make it the best user experience because it seems like a, at least like a like a non trivial chunk of that SEO sort of ranking, I think, is is whether users come to your page and stay there versus whether they come and they get frustrated and hit the back button. I think Google can tell if, if you land on a page and you hit back fast enough that like, well, maybe maybe no one wants this site or it's not serving them well enough or whatever. It'll, I think it'll derank it that way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's true. They do rank you on a bunch of different parameters. So, But performance is now one of the biggest ones. And yeah. fortunately, uh, yeah. we can get some insights in, in how they rack. So if you if you check out, so in, in DevTools, basically, you, you have the audit panel and you can you make a performance audit on your own page, SAO too. But then they'll tell you how you rank and they'll actually tell you like which metric like, and, and how they weight in when they do page rankings in Google. So we have all the tools at hand now to help uh, our clients. I saw something really interesting the other day where um, someone was making the case that Running Lighthouse in a browser is not the same as running Lighthouse from a lower powered device like a phone or something because like the scores will come out lower on the lower powered device. I don't know if that's a, if that's a commonly known thing or if, I don't know. It was it was news to me, so I don't know. Have you heard of that? Yeah, when you run Lighthouse emulations on your MacBook, it tries to sort of emulate a slow device, but it's only emulation, right? So it's all up to how you implement that uh, emulation. So. Yeah, it's not going to be the same. And you're going to get a different score if you're running a, an even lower power device. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really something that's easy and there's no like one answer to this. But in essence, so if you, if you do want to 
improve on on the uncanny valley. Like, so you want to ensure that when your customers or when your end user enter, you know, when they enter your site, the first thing to do is to ensure that they have a way to use your site, even though they're, they're sort of in this uncanny valley. So let's say you're, you're presenting, uh, you're bringing an e-commerce, and you have this uh, wonderful uh, product, the monstrous big buy button, click me, buy me, right? And then you want to ensure that. Any end user entering your site and like having the cash burning in their wallet, like, that they can actually give you the money for this teddy bear. Even that sounds though, important. Yeah, even though they're in the uncanny valley, right? So you have to provide some fallbacks for that, so that even though like none of the React stuff is ready, you could still use the button. You can still buy the teddy bear, and as a user, you don't really care if it's a good old-fashioned uh, HTML forms of it, or if it's uh, an on-submit callback in React, right? They don't care. They want the teddy bear. Yeah, so would is, is like one way to fix that would be to just use regular anchor tags that, that actually go to a URL. So if, if React hasn't sort of, you know, enhanced that that link or button yet, that, that it'll, it'll still work. Like the browser still knows what to do with it, right? Yeah. In order to provide decent fallbacks for any scenario, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So, you know, page navigation, that that kind of thing is more or less fixed with tools like Next.js. But the other part of fixing this with, you know, stuff like, uh, yeah, purchasing stuff online, that requires a backend that can take care of your, your, you know, your basket items and all that. If you want to provide a good fallback, you actually have to do some, a bit more backend stuff to sort of help this thing along. There's one pattern that started to to be talked about a lot, which is the kind of the micro front ends where people are mixing in multiple different kinds of, of apps on the front end. That could be one strategy for splitting things up where you're using SSR for like one part of the the app and everything else kind of dynamically loads after the first refresh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the way you want to handle things specifically is up to you. I mean, uh, I really like the microphone approach because it allows you to iterate fast and, and you can sort of scale things independently. That is really good. But if your SSR part still is sort of giving out or presenting really critical elements on the page, something that you would expect users to click and interact on, then you still have to provide some some really good fallbacks in the end. So on the lightning talk, I think I I quoted someone from Netflix because they were trying to sort of fix this problem on their front page. I think it's like, it like two years ago. It's not even new. And they decided to to do server side rendered React on the back end, and then on the front end, they would just serve the HTML and the CSS, but no React, no, nothing. It's like the pure pure web tech there, and then. They would, for the JavaScript thing they did need, they would just write that vanilla, but really like as compact as, and as tiny as possible. So that's a really interesting approach. And this is something that, that will have a massive effect on the Uncanny Valley because let's face it, all, like the, the time to interactive, a big, big portion of that is just executing the JavaScript that we, you know, we as developers sort of force you as a user to consume. So yeah. if you can reduce the size of your bundles or just remove them entirely, uh, you're not going to lie to your, 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 uh, your end users anymore. Not as much. Not as code. There's no code. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no code. 
Yeah, it's a really yeah. interesting approach that that idea of I mean, pretty much using React as your server side templating language at that point. Like, just you know, back to the, the good old days of like you know server rendering before it was called SSR. Old school. <laughs> like the server returns the HTML, the browser just renders it, and that's it. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of like... Sometimes when I when I talk about this this topic too, especially a new developers coming in, it's like, like man, you're like a dinosaur. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a frame set and a marquee. You're, you're, you ain't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but yeah, it's a, maybe I am, but but still, it's like to be honest, I don't really care about the tech as long as the user experience is good. I was helping out a colleague now. Uh, they wanted to achieve really really good performance in, in one application and it, it we looked at their uh, at their product at their web page and it turned out that like the the main sort of portal into their application was a was a page that, that didn't really have any javascript it, you know, it was not it was just some pages we booted up like the entire application with react model and that just had a massive massive improvement in performance oh yeah because First of all, the HTML that we sent was way smaller because we didn't have to include the, the React state. Mm, right. So reducing it to like six kilobytes, which was awesome. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> and then when the client receives that and just paints that out, it's done. There's, there's nothing more to wait for. And obviously that cannot work for any site. It's very, very few places where that can work. But if it can, it's wonderful. A different more realistic thing to do is sort of look at looking at your bundle and trying to reduce the stuff that can be reduced or you know if you're using stuff like moment.js for date handling uh, yeah. this is a very known thing right but, uh, there's alternatives there are less and, and kilobytes and uh, and might save you uh, a bit of time in the end and the same goes for stuff like so graphql we're purely using GraphQL uh, over here. And nice. so we defer to using Apollo because everyone's using, using Apollo. So of course we are too. And we found out that switching out, like replacing Apollo with a lighter client reduces the time to interactive by 300 milliseconds in our case, which is a significant amount wow. of time, to yeah. be honest. And it's a That's really a small change in the code base if you have that option, right? So it's about sort of finding the places where you can improve and measure before and after. Like, what's the change? What's the benefits? It's also super specific to whatever you're trying to build. Like, there's no silver bullet. There's no one size fits all. There are really awesome techniques as far as like, you know, Webpack where you can dynamically load the code that you need as you need it when you get to that part of your application. But then, you know, one feature of React that people forget exists is that you don't have to do everything in React. 
Like you can have the majority of your content be just static and then use React just for some widget on the page or just for like stuff that isn't necessary until, you know, they've been on the page for 30 seconds or more or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When we think of a React application, we think, okay, everything's going to be React. Like any, everything, rendering the entire HTML yeah. and all. So yeah, you're totally right. That's that's something that we probably can explore a bit more too. So uh, like how React started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess it also ties in with that micro front end idea, front end idea right? Like you yeah. maybe maybe not having multiple front end frameworks, but you just have the one or something, but it's it's only yeah. controlling parts of the page. Yeah. And, and Thomas, you you touched upon a, a, an interesting thing too. I mean, you, you mentioned Webpack and bundles, and there's it's also I think approach to like emerging now is like the idea of, of shipping different JavaScript for different browsers. Yes. So right now, most of the time, we're shipping a monster big JavaScript. <laughs> so, and it's the transpiled version that works all the way down to IE4 or something. <laughs> here you go. Yeah, here we go. So, and I know there's some effort done right now from Next.js and Google, I think they're in. Uh, you want to, you know, kind of make the solution in the tools for this one so that. Yes. By default, they're going to you know split the bundles up. You get one modern one that is not as transpiled as the kind of legacy one, and this is really good. This is where we wanted to be. I remember when when Babel was was introduced to the market. I was like, yes, we can finally use the new features. And sometime in the future, I can just skip Babel. Well, yeah, I know, I know, and I, I can never. I'm married to Babel all my life. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least we can turn off some of the transpiling now for uh, yeah the big problem there is the the npm you know having like currently most npm modules ex- expose a transpiled es5 code base and then there's like competing specs for how you can expose well here's the es5 version here's the x6 here's the js modules code here's like oh good grief yeah, that's true. So like when it comes time to bundle your your modules, they're already kind of compiled into a way that you'd have to right. go backwards and <laughs> recompile them all or something. Interesting. Yeah, you, <laughs> like a reverse transpiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like compile everything from scratch back to <laughs> back to olden days again. <laughs> Personally, I love TypeScript. I switched to TypeScript a couple years ago. I switched back to Flow temporarily <laughs> because of necessity, but... Long term, I I really want like all my code to be actually TypeScript, even all my NPM modules to actually be actual TypeScript. And once we have that, or at least, you know, something that's halfway there, there's so much cool stuff that we can do on the compiler side of things, like with all of the, the type hinting to do all kinds of nerd compiler nonsense that smarter people than me tend to spend their time on. We also have React like alternatives for those that want to try out different stuff too. I mean, preact um, exactly. So uh, there's also like stuff like Inferno. There's what's the other one's called? I don't know. There's a bunch of alternatives that are with the API with closely, you know, really close to the ones in React. So once you know React, there's really you know there's nothing stopping you from trying something else if you're really really passionate about performance. Yeah, I love that philosophy. Learn once, write everywhere. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. The, the idea you can learn React and then go write React Native or whatever. And then we've got all these nice spinoff libraries that are like Preact is what, three kilobytes or something, right? So 
That's the interface right there. Maybe. I think he's like hand coding it with like byte code now. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he like re- rewrote it in like Rust or something just to get the, the bytes down by three more bytes. <laughs> that guy's awesome. Oh, yeah. So, so Jason Millen, right? That's the guy we're talking about. Uh, yeah, develop it. So I think he's part of the team that helps out with some Next.js features too. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. I think so, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, so, so there are some great initiatives ha- you know, happening on the tooling side of things. It's not just that we can you know, sit back and relax and wait for everything to be solved for us, <laughs> which would be awesome. But we, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we kind of have, have to deal with this, at least some of us. I mean, if you're just running as single-page applications, right, you don't really have to worry about this kind of thing. That's why but measuring if, is so critical. Like, if it's really taking 10 seconds before people can start using your thing, it's like, your thing sucks. Fix your thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's definitely something that a lot of people should be focusing on. And some of the work that you have to do as a developer is not just you know, doing the actual work, but it's sort of convincing uh, the management that you have to do this work. It's really difficult sometimes to, to get them to get your management to be on board with, okay, we want to spend more time on testing to make our uh, you know, application <laughs> more resilient. Accessibility. Yeah. <laughs> Internationalization. <laughs> yeah, right. So in the end, I mean... If you want to convince your boss management, whoever, that you need to spend more time on this thing called the Uncanny Valley, they're not going to get it. Yeah, it needs a better name than that. It's the valley of people being able to give us money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess the valley you know, hit the back button, right? (laughs) People just leave. Yeah. Valley. (laughs) Back button valley. I think, uh, was this Paul Irish? I remember. Adios Money, who was. They were, and they have some excellent talks on this, especially uh, Adios Mani lately. Uh, they've been doing some really cool, cool blog posts and talks about this kind of problem uh, specifically. And they talk about the click frenzy, like when you click a button and then nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they keep clicking in like they, in despair because you're really hoping that it's going to end up with something in the end or that you just purchased 100 teddy bears. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That is such a problem. I've, I've... Definitely experience that. <laughs> just like yeah, the madly clicking a button. Loss of humanity that is literally terrified of their computers because they don't know what's happening. They're worried that they're going to accidentally buy it 10 times, that the thing is just going to stop working because they clicked the wrong button. Yeah, and it's our fault with crap like this. Exactly. This is actually the core of the problem because as a web developer, I sort of tend to think that I'm writing the applications for like-minded people. <laughs> right. Not that I think that I'm doing that. That's I never sort of stop to think about like, who's going to actually use this system. Right. But in the fun. end, in humanity, if your neighbor next door and it's your grandmother and all these people, they have no idea. Like they have no idea of this concept. And they may be, yeah, as you say, maybe they're a bit scared of the internet. Yeah, scared of people like just by entering their like the the web like the address and the URL and in the address bar. Like, at that moment, their credit card is going to get empty. They don't know. Right. <laughs> and they're not wrong. Like, there's yeah. websites that do that. Yeah. And they might not even be patient. And again, if you're running, again, this is specifically for e-commerce because it's so highly competitive. So if people enter your, your e-commerce and are maybe a bit stressed, uh, tired, right? And then the first thing they see is a loading spinner. I'm going to get, screw this. <laughs> I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of have to be as friendly as we can with our uh, end users. 
and make sure that, yeah, we don't lie at least to them. There's so many wonderful things that you can do. Like if we spend the time to make them have a really, really good experience, then they're going to, the same kind of dynamic that makes them fear and hate things will make them love and gravitate towards our things in subconscious ways that they don't even realize. Yeah, I think that that idea of like trying to sell it to your boss, I think it's it all comes down to the users. You know, if, if, if you're making your users happy, that probably makes the business more money. And if you can sort of tie it that way, be like, well, fewer people will hit the back button and more people will buy stuff. So like, we need time to spend on this thing. Yeah, exactly. If you can relate your work to money, that's going to that, that's gonna sell always. Yeah. The React was started on the ads team. It's always been very close to the money. There you go. So on a completely other note, like what, is, what else is going on in the React community that's kind of piquing your interest right now? Oh, oh there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, I'm, I'm really loving hooks, to be honest. I know it's, oh, yeah. everyone says that, but come on. <laughs> it simplifies things so much. I've been doing a lot of mentoring for uh, colleagues of mine and, and everything just went, went so much so much easier now with hooks. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't expect it to be that fun. I was kind of, you know, resistant at start. I was like, nah, I'm not sure how I like this. Yeah. It's kind of like dark magic. I'm not sure I'm into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah kind of feeling really. at first. I had really. Yep. Yeah, no, but it, it really, it really is, is, is awesome. It, even though, even though it kind of makes it a bit more difficult to explain life cycle methods, uh, the class based, like the class approach is, easier in that sense because you have named life cycle methods this one is kind of a bit more vague in that sense but in the I end think that's uh, intentional <laughs> i think they want to be able to get away from the idea of the life cycle at least a little bit anyway so so that's that's one thing but i'm also really uh, i really love that the the way we uh move toward i'm like the the ssr Part of React, like that, that community is getting big now and it's getting a lot of attention and focus. And I'm really excited to see what, what comes out of, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Next.js, so I'm not going to lie there. Yeah. Uh, they're doing some awesome work. And I, I know that, I think I saw on Twitter last week or something that they're going to they're gonna ship the, some, like the different bundles for different uh, devices thing. Oh, right, right, right. Soon, yeah. Oh, they're so, actually doing that. They're actually doing that. Yeah, I haven't been keeping up with like what's new with Next. I know Next, what, nine or six or something like that just came out a few weeks or months ago. I don't know. <laughs> what's new with that thing? I, I remember it was like so much better, but I don't remember what was different. Uh, it, yeah, it just keeps getting better, I guess. So now now it's, it's, it's possible to do. You can, do so you, you can integrate your uh, backend more easily now. So you have your own API subfolder that you can do stuff on. Right. It's so good. Yeah. But yeah, there's also tons of other improvements. There's just so many contrib- contributors now to Next. So that's awesome. This episode is sponsored by GitLab Commit. GitLab's inaugural user event brings together the GitLab community to connect, learn, and inspire. Speakers will showcase the power of DevOps in action through strategy and technology decisions, lessons learned, behind-the-scenes looks at the development lifecycle, and more. Learn how to innovate the future of software development by registering today. GitLab Commit Brooklyn, September 17th, and GitLab Commit London, October 9th. You can find it at devchat.tv slash GitLab Commit. All right, so I guess now is time for picks. Dave, do you have anything to pick? Sure, yeah. So I've got uh, 
One cool tool that I found um, is called FX. It's pretty much if you if you've seen that JQ tool, it's for um, uh, parsing, formatting jQuery, especially at the command line. It, it's a command line tool, so you can um, fetch some JSON from from did I say jQuery? Fetch some JSON from somewhere <laughs> and format it with JQ. FX is like that, but it's like an interactive one, so you can browse through things and you can write little JavaScript expressions at the command line to sort of parse out your responses from the server and stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool. Let's check it out. I think it's actually fx.wtf will bring you to the game. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> I'll paste the link in the show notes. And there's another sort of relevance to what we've been talking about today. There's a site called microjs.com. And this is not a new thing. This has been around for, for years, but it's like a searchable list of tiny little JavaScript libraries. So if you want to, if you need some like some sprinkle of JavaScript and you don't want to have to write some, you know, I don't know, it's, it's got like tiny HTTP libraries and some animation stuff and all this different sorts of stuff that trying to make fast sites and trying to stay away from React for certain pages or something might be a good look. Cool. Yeah, my pick for today is a physical book that I picked up at the bookstore the other day, um, Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck, PhD. That's um, the one that first talked about like a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Like applying that to technology, we see, tend to just assume that things just are the way they are. Like the performance is the way that it is. There's nothing we can do about it. But like no matter what it is in life, we can always take a step forward. We might not be able to take, you know, jump a mile forward in some random direction, but we can always improve the performance somehow. And if it feels like it's completely stuck, it's just like you're not thinking about it in the right way. And just change your perspective. Yeah, cool. So, so my pick is, uh, if, I'm not sure if it's been mentioned here, but it fits really nice with uh, the performance and uh, scheme of the day. Uh, it's bundlephobia.com. It's a website for where you can, you can, uh, you can search. Like if you have an NPM, an NPM package and you're not quite sure how big it is, like how big impact will this have on, in the byte size of your code. Nice. Uh, bundlephobia is an excellent tool to, to help you see that. And it also gives you a trend. So you can sort of cherry pick the version, version that is the, like the smallest one. Yeah, and it's really nice. And for some packages, some popular ones, it gives you uh, like, okay, this package is like similar to these packages, like these other ones. So it's a way to navigate the NPM landscape too. Awesome. That's super cool. I think that wraps it up for this episode of React Roundup. I guess that rounds it up or whatever. I'll see you guys <laughs> next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. Hold up. 